Welcome to Step Into the Story. Incredible conversations of how the Bible changes lives, changes families, and changes communities across the globe. And here's your host, Phil Tuttle of Walk Through the Bible. Welcome to Step Into the Story. You know, each time we get together, we explore the intersection of your story and God's story. And we do that via a conversation with somebody who really opens up his or her life. And we just explore that intersection of of the fact that God is writing this epic story that spans all of eternity. And then we're in the process of writing and living our own stories. How do those things come together? And especially how does God use his word for that intersection? I have been looking forward to this particular episode for a while. Please welcome to Step Into the Story with me, Andrew Peterson. Andrew, thanks for being with us today. Glad to be with you guys. Thank you. I was telling my wife this morning, uh, I said, this has the potential to be one of the most fragmented conversations I've had in my life because this guy is so multifaceted, or it has the potential to be an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I, I'm leaning on it's going to be the, the second of those. I love people who are difficult to classify, people who defy labels. And so that's part of what I'm, I'm looking forward to discovering with you today. You know, all the things that you're doing, recording artist, songwriter, producer, filmmaker, award-winning author, what's the unifier that keeps your life from being fragmented, going, going 10 different directions? What's the one thing that unifies all those different expressions? Wow, that is a good question. Um, I think it would be uh, that the way that I kind of, after years and years of trying to figure out how to articulate what it is that I want to do with my time here, um, I think that what I landed on is that I want to try to tell the tr- try to tell the truth as beautifully as I can, whether that's through you know the Wingfeather Saga fantasy novels or tr- or through a memoir or through songwriting or the filmmaking stuff, whatever it kind of may be. I think that the thing that I'm getting at is that I want I really just want people to know that Jesus is God and that He loves them, and that the way the the way to wake up people's hearts. Uh, is tends to be in my experience stories and beauty and um there's there's this really hard to nail down you know you can't control it but you're always shooting for some kind of like moment create create how how about this creating the possibility uh for people to experience longing for jesus and so that's you know that's kind of the as far as the work that i do but it's all also wrapped up in the fact that um i I have been married for 26 years and have three wonderful kids and, and, and have a, I'm a part of a church, local church. And so, uh, those, those are the things that ground me. And then, um, after that, it's a matter of just kind of following my nose, you know, um, trying to, I don't know, be obedient to the spirit, but also sometimes I, I've been talking to my wife about this a lot. Like, um, the, the, cause we're at a funny place right now in our lives where we just, our, our youngest just went to college. Um, my, we have three kids, the two older boys just got married this summer. And so we're empty nesting for the first time. Um, and so for Jamie, she, we homeschooled our kids. And so she's got this new kind of freedom kind of going, okay, what do I do now? And I'm also kind of at this place where, uh, you know, I'm 
in between record contracts, trying to decide if I'm going to sign another record contract and uh, really loving writing books, but also still love to play music and just trying to like discern what is, it feels like we're, there's a, there's a next thing that we're supposed to right. do, but we don't know what it is. So, so the, the funny thing to me is we talk so much about calling. Um, and, you know, I've, you know, for years talked about how I think that I was called to the ministry when I was 18 or 19 years old. And I, you know, had this head on collision with Jesus through the music of Rich Mullins and, and asked, asked God, can I sing about you and write about you and hopefully make something that would make somebody uh, feel the way that, you know, Rich Mullins or my favorite authors made me feel and kind of this ability to believe that maybe you're real and you're really there and you really love us. And so when I thought about it, though, after years, I, I've thought, oh, well, that was that was my calling. But then when I really am honest with myself, I'm the one who did the calling. You know, mm-hmm. I, I called out to God and said, God, can I do this thing for you? And he said, sure. And I kind of think about, you know, if, if I created, a, you know, some magical wonderland in the woods for my grandkids, uh, I would tell them to go out and play. And it would be the, the height of annoyance for them to come in every five minutes and say, can I do this thing? No, I made this whole thing. Just go do the thing that makes you happy. I, you know, so I think sometimes uh, like we, we make the, 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 it more problematic than it needs to be. It's like, God is just like, no, just go do stuff. Just go, go make stuff. And, and remember that I love you. Yeah. We're going to explore some of that. I, I would say to you, um, I'm 63. My wife and I are both 63 and this phase of life is not something to be dreaded or feared any more than remember when your kids were becoming teenagers and you'd heard all the stories, the horror stories, the rebellion, different things. I mean, they need to become independent, but that doesn't need to be a violent ripping. And, and your empty nest years don't need to be full of loneliness and regret and looking back and going, man, can I relive that? Cause man, I blew that one. Um, you know, my wife can travel with me more than she ever could before. And so, you know, same thing with Jamie. I know though you live in Nashville, you're in Oxford, England now, and you're kind of on this sabbatical for the, the two of you. Hey, if you're going to work remotely, might as well, might as well do it from a place like that. So um, I just, I just would encourage you that God is probably going to birth some very fresh things and you're going to have the joy of in some ways rediscovering each other, but really discovering each other in some new ways for the first time. I love that. And we, you know, we're not really, we're mainly excited about it and curious about it. You know, I, we had a similar experience to you where the, you know, our, our teenage years with our kids were some of our favorite seasons with them. Like, I, I think there's so much baggage that people project onto things like that. Um, that just isn't true. Um, it doesn't have to be true anyway. So yeah, I think that we're, we're excited and curious and, and also there's plenty of work to be done. So I don't know why I'm even thinking about it. It's like, if like, I don't need to be thinking about what's happening five years from now when there's just plate full of really wonderful things now. So yeah, uh, go enjoy the wonderland he's created for you. That's pretty amazing. You and I have a number of things in common. The first is music. Um, you produce amazing music and I consume it on the radio and other ways and uh, <laughs> use it to, to spark my, my worship. I, I've interviewed a few other artists and um, one of the things I want to delve into in a second is just that whole creative process because for those of us who don't do that, that's as close as partnering with God 
in the first attribute he revealed, which was in the beginning God created, um, that most of us as humans will ever get. And I want to spend some time talking about that. But the other thing that we do genuinely have in common is we're both natives of downstate Illinois. Uh, I know you hail from Monticello. I am a native of normal Illinois pastored in Cisna Park, which is a town of, of 850 over almost on the Illinois-Indiana line. But, but Monticello, a, a town of, I don't know, five or 6,000, something like that. Tell us some about growing up there. What, what was your early life like? You kind of picked up the story a little bit at age 18, but what happened before that? Well, my dad was uh, was a pastor and um, for his whole life and was at this church in Monticello, I think it was called Monticello Christian Church, or First Christian Church of Monticello. And uh, and so my, until I was seven, we lived there, and it was the most idyllic, like, Norman Rockwell-type childhood you could possibly imagine. It was just magical. And uh, we moved when I was seven to North Florida, uh, and that was kind of when, for me, things fell apart. I don't think it was necessarily Florida's fault, but it didn't, didn't help a whole lot because I was this like, you know, just kind of golden boy from the Midwest, you know, grew up around John Deere tractors and cornfields. And then suddenly was thrust into the deep South, like North Florida. If you're, if you know it at all, then you know that it's like South Georgia, uh, culturally speaking. So, you know, there was, you know, racism and really thick accents and, uh, and just this really disorienting experience, uh, and I've spent a lot of my adult life trying to get to the bottom of what that exactly that did to me. I've come to terms with it and more. Like, I actually really love Florida now, um, but it took me a while to figure out how how to do that. So, yeah, I and in fact, The God of the Garden, my new book, I, I dig into a lot of those questions. You know, certain trees that I remember in Monticello that are these uh, kind of sentinels almost in my childhood that I remember. These two beautiful maple trees in the backyard that just watched me grow up. And uh, and then moving to Florida, where it's live oaks and slash pines and and uh, Spanish moss, sweltering heat. You know, it's just this really interesting dichotomy between these two cultures that I, I spent my childhood in. And so, uh, never never really had much problem believing that God was real. Um, and it was around the time I I got to Florida and I started, you know, recognizing the brokenness of the world. Um, and the brokenness in, of myself uh, was when I, I began to really be afraid of God. And it wasn't until, like I said, I was about 18 that after years of being this kind of weirdly cultural, nominal Christian, I, I realized that it was all real. And, and most of all, not just that it was real, but that he actually loved me. Um, and it just changed my whole life. Mm, that's so cool. Ed, I track a lot of that parallel as well. Um, you know, that I had a, just a very, very distorted view of God pretty much all through high school. You know, he's this cosmic cop. He's looking for somebody who's having a little too much fun and going to clamp down on him and, and um, just continue to discover the beauty of grace and that he created us for a relationship and he really enjoys us and invites us to enjoy him as well. One of the things in, in some of your bio uh, says, for more than 20 years now, Andrew Peterson has been about the business of quietly changing lives in four-minute increments. 
And as a, as a pastor type and a Bible teacher who sometimes struggles to get it said in 30 minutes or, or even 40 minutes, that just, that just jumped off the page, this changing lives in four-minute increments. That's whoever, if you wrote that or whoever wrote that, they had a good day that day. That's it's actually the guy that wrote the bio is Doug McKelvey, who wrote um, Every Moment Holy, which is this wonderful book of liturgies. Um, he's one of the best writers on earth. And he wrote this bio a long time ago. And that, that one line has, has jumped out to a lot of people. Um, I took it as a high honor that he wrote it. But I think that's part of the, the, the thing that motivates most singer-songwriters is this like geek out fascination with the, the fact that songs can do that. I don't know how it works, but it happens. You know, we all know the feeling of driving down the road and, and a song ambushes you and you're crying and you don't really know what happened. You know, uh, it, they can move you. And the, the, there's no other art form quite like it, you know, in our, in our culture now where, where people will go and pay good money to sit and listen to someone share basically poems put to music, uh, for two hours, you know, and, and it can change a person. So uh, I have been changed by songs. And so uh, ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated by the way music worked and stories worked and, and uh, was all, I'm, I'm like, always like looking under the hood of the car to see like, okay, what is it about this song that got to me? You know, how did this happen? And it's all mystery, who knows? Um, but that's, that's what most songwriters got into the game for. Yeah, and if you analyze it too much and think you have it figured out, you're probably well on the way to killing it. If you, Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because that takes the supernatural right out of it. But, uh, you know, um, take us into the process of, of how, how a song is birthed. I mean, are you, a, are you, are you a melody first and lyrics come later or... Or the words come first, and then there's some music that fits it. And I, I know you, you know, you collaborate on some things, but, but how? Take us into the labor and delivery room, if you will. <laughs> uh, well, I would say I, I, my last book, Adorning the Dark, um, was an experiment in trying to nail down that very idea. Um, I tried to like document in real time what is going on inside the brain of a songwriter while they're trying to give birth to the thing. And it's a pretty scary place, to be honest with you. It's like <laughs> a lots of self-doubt, lots of feeling like, you know, you can't think of anything that hasn't already been said a thousand times. You sit there with your guitar and you're like, how, how many ways can I play a G chord? You know, um, there, it just this feeling of futility that, uh, that honestly probably is familiar to everyone, whatever their work is in. Like we always, I think that's kind of a, a little signpost to the to the fall is that thistle and thorn infest the ground like we can never quite make the thing that we first thought of you know what i mean like we have this like uh vision the shimmering vision of the thing and then you make it and you work really hard and when it's finished you never come close quite to what you, you sensed in the and then but that that's what it's like you just have to keep going and keep doing it and so for me like on a practical level it's like uh, usually it's because I have a deadline and I've booked studio time to make a record in, in a, in a white hot panic. I realize that I've got three weeks or a month to, to get it, go into the studio and like the money's spent. So you got to do it. And, um, there's people that are counting on you, you know, there's a label and a team of people and you're like, Oh man. So that panic is one of the big motivators for me. And honestly, one of the big motivators 
earlier in my career was just the mortgage payment. It was just, if, if you're an independent singer songwriter, like you've got to have songs to sing or you're not going to pay the rent. So especially when you got diapers to buy, there was a lot of motivation there. So you end up sitting there thinking, uh, I've got to f finish something. I've got to work on something. So for hours at a time, you, you get nothing. And, uh, and then you finally catch, it's like going fishing. You finally get a bite and, uh, you record it on your phone and the next morning you listen to it and it's terrible and you start over again the next day and you just keep doing that long enough. Um, you know, eventually you end up with something that doesn't stink and then you, uh, bring it to the producer and you go, help me make this stink less. And hopefully if it's a good producer, they can take this nugget of coal and, and figure out how to make it more beautiful than you could make it on your own, you know? Uh, so I don't know. It's always, it's always tricky. Only like three times in my life have I written a decent song in one sitting. Mm. Mm. That, I mean, thank you for being so real with that answer, because I think those of us from the outside, all of a sudden what you do sounds a whole lot more like what I do and what most of us do. And, and the, the tendency is to go, man, there must be, the, this person must just have such a connection that I wish I had. And, and you know, it's a, we throw the word inspiration around real casually sometimes. And, and just to hear that sometimes it's, it's deadline driven, it's need driven to sometimes there's, there's dry spells, there's the frustration of that. That sounds a lot more like where I and most of the people that I know live most days of our lives. So thank you for being honest. Well, um, I mean, if you were a pastor, I don't know how pastors come up with a new sermon every week. Because Sunday arrives. That's how you come up with it. It's the deadline. That's true. Yeah. But it's like, I imagine if I were a, a, at a church that expected me to write an, one new song every week. And then like one of the advantages of being a musician is I get to play the show. And if the show's not very good, I get in the bus and I drive away. But like a pastor is like in community with the people who are going to tell him, hey, the sermon wasn't so great this week. You know, uh, I just have the utmost admiration. Like my dad used to preach a Sunday night service and a Sunday morning service back in the, those days. And it was a different sermon. So it was two sermons a week. And I was like, how do you do this? So I think everybody's a little mystified and everybody's creative. So it's 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 the bedrock's the same. Yeah, I, I mentioned I grew up in Bloomington Normal. My dad was an actuary with State Farm. And if you ever call my dad creative, he would just push off that thought. And yet, in terms of problem solving, in terms of finding win-win solutions, I mean, that's just a different expression of creativity. And I'm really glad that in our generation, we're starting to broaden the concept of creativity. It's not just art. And, and music, but it is that partnership with God that births something, you know, that didn't exist before. And I, I think I think He invites us all into that process. Um, we got so much more I want to talk about, and and we'll continue this conversation in just a second. Right right after these thoughts from Walk Through the Bible. The Bible is a book of stories. And God gave us a book of stories because we learn best through stories. This is one reason why Jesus told so many parables. His listeners would have understood his use of imagery and place and life examples. 
God could have given us an instruction manual or a religious textbook, but instead, he chose to give us a collection of real-life experiences of people who heard his voice, encountered his presence, or experienced his works. Story Through the Bible makes the Bible come alive through 52 stories from Scripture. Based on this concept that we learn best through stories, Story Through the Bible is designed for anyone to be able to learn a story, remember it, and pass it on to others. It's available in Old Testament or New Testament versions. Find it in our store at walkthrough.org shop. So welcome back to Step Into the Story and our conversation with Andrew Peterson. Andrew, um, we, were, we were just talking about the, the process of birthing a new song. And um, I've, I know a number of your songs, and ever since we scheduled this, I've, been, I've had you massively playing around our house and, and um, getting to know a bunch more of your songs. And I know you, you must sometimes hate it when, when somebody reduces your whole career to it's like that song. Um, but I'm, I'm telling you, there, there is something really, really special about your song, Is He Worthy?, I, I just need to tell you about something God did in my life with that song. If, if you don't know that song and, and you're listening to us today, we'll, we'll put a link to it so you can hear it. And, and especially the version of it that, that you did is, is kind of really stripped down and simplified, but it's a, it's a conversation. And um, you ask the question and then people respond with a, with a simple answer, and I, I pulled the lyrics off of that, and um, I want to I want to tell you what God did in in my life with this. But it, you know, it starts out it says, "Do you feel the world is broken?" And the handful of singers around you respond in singing, "We do." Um, do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish you could see it all made new? We do. And, and you know, it follows that pattern through the whole thing. And I listened to that song, I don't know, at, at one point a few months ago, again, before we even scheduled this conversation, I, I just like OD'd on that song over the period of a couple of weeks. And I was listening to it over and over, about had it memorized. And, and then this thought hit me. I'm like, I'm like, okay, I'm mesmerized by the song. I'm just kind of, I'm agreeing with it. I'm answering the we do or I will or yes, he is and all that. But do I really believe that? And um, I took and I actually wrote the song out, all the questions that you pose, and I wrote them out and I put about a third or a half sheet of paper in between them. And, and for the next two or three weeks, that became some of the richest time with God I've ever enjoyed because I asked that question, you know, is, is he worthy? Um, do I believe this? And, you know, the Westminster Catechism is, is a Q&A in its structure and, and the, the teaching of that. But I, I just need to say thank you for that song. The music is gorgeous, but what it did in my life to really break things down to, Phil, you, you teach this stuff. These are core doctrines in a lot of ways. 
But Phil, do you personally believe this? And, and do you operate in the reality of that? And um, I mean, I don't know, was that, was that one of the things you were hoping for? When, when you and Ben wrote this together? Uh, is, have you heard that from other people or was my experience kind of unique? Wow. Uh, well, I haven't heard anything quite like that before and it's very moving to hear. I'm really glad. But I do think that uh, the conversational aspect of it is, invites that kind of thinking. You know, uh, the, the idea is, for me, it's not as... I, like I do believe those things uh, and there's something about affirming uh, what I believe in public um, in a conversation, you know, that is, uh, that gets to me every time. Like uh, I think sometimes, like I started going to uh, an Anglican church six years ago, something like that, um, and really was mesmerized by the liturgy and the fact that in a typical Anglican liturgy, it's not just the worship team singing at the audience, and it's not just the preacher preaching at the audience. There is a drama that plays out, and the congregation is invited to be a part of the drama. Like, we answer questions. We we affirm what we believe to be true in the words of the Nicene Creed. Like, we, there's this sense that, like, one of the things I love about it uh, is that I can't, there's never a chance to go to sleep in a liturgical service because you're always being invited to participate, you know? Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think that that was, that was where the idea struck. It was just like, what if, what if there was a song that, that was a conversation instead of a one-way thing um, and we could affirm together what it is that we believe to be true. And for some reason that seems to have resonated with people. And I, I I'm really thankful Um I, and it is, I get emotional almost every time I sing that song. You asked me at the beginning, like, does it bother me you know, for somebody to say, oh, thank you for that song. I know which song they're talking about these days. Um, and no, it has never bothered me. Like, I'm so thankful uh, because that's, that's what I asked God for way back in the day. I, if I can sing about you, then that's what I want to do. And so um, the, the great news for me is that I actually like the song, you know, like, wouldn't it be terrible if I'd written a song that, that everybody wanted me to sing and I didn't like it or I didn't, didn't agree with it, you know, but I do wholeheartedly. And uh, I can't wait to get to it every night when I, when I do a show. Um, so anyway, yeah, I don't, I, I can't really take credit for it because none of the truths in the song or anything I came up with, it's all scripture, you know? Um, and the chorus is almost verbatim scripture. Uh it's, uh, it's all true. And I think that's part of what I love about it. I write a lot of story songs, um, kind of autobiographical stuff. And I like that, that that's, that's moving to me in a different way. But anytime there's a song that's like, I know while I'm singing it, that I can hang my hat on this truth, that it, it isn't some poetic, uh, flourish that I came up with on a good moment. You know, it's actually, it's actually grounded in scripture. I, I feel something different in me when I'm singing it, you know, um, so anyway, I don't know if that gets to your yeah, question. Yeah, no, but. that's that really that's a great answer. I mean, that's part of why I knew I was going to love this conversation because, you know, like I say in the intro, step into the story, we explore the intersection of God's story and your story. And and Andrew, I mean, that for sure comes through in your music. It's it it is story, it is personal experience, and yet the scripture that undergirds that and there's just this kind of seamless intersection. And so I just Man, I just affirm 
what 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 you're creating. Um, wing feather saga, wing feather saga. Our our kids are 33 and 30, so they were a little, you know, they were a little too old when when that series of books came out. And um, we now have three grandkids, another one born just uh, a few weeks ago. And they're, you know, like four, two, and one, so not quite ready for it. We're in that in-between generation. I'm looking forward. I, in fact, I, I asked Donna, who helps us with this podcast, I said, so, so do, I, do I have to wait until my grandkids are old enough? She's like, no, get it, read it now. Donna and, and her two girls, they read it out loud when they were growing up. Um, that would seem to be a big departure from a lot of what you had done in the rest of your career. How, how did, how did Wingfeather Saga, how did that come to be? Yeah, well, I, I grew up reading with my nose in the Narnia books and the Lord of the Rings and uh, fan, any fantasy novel I could get my hands on. Um, and, and, you know, as a child of the eighties, part of the reason I was so into it was because back then anything with a dragon and it was demonic. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Dungeons and Dragons was like the most evil thing you could possibly do. <laughs> but I was way into those kinds of stories, loved them and, and loved to draw. And, and then later it was probably later in high school that music really took, took hold of my imagination, partly because uh, it was a way to impress girls um, who weirdly weren't that impressed with nerdy kids, comic book kids in the eighties. You know, I kind of put it away, but always wanted to try writing a, writing a big fantasy epic and, uh, and tried it several times um, as a young, younger man. And uh, it wasn't until I had kids until I had an audience to write for that it really worked. Like I had, you know, these three wonderful kids who, I read the, the Narnia books to them and we read aloud a lot as a family. And I was just like, I've got to know what this feels like to write a story, a big story. And so, yeah, I was pretty sheepish about it. I remember like, you know, working on the book on the tour bus, you know, we'd be on the Christmas tour and everybody would be playing ping pong in the church and I would be out in the, the bus banging out chapter 52 or whatever in a book um, without really any sense of whether or not it was going to connect with people. And so, uh, it has just been a crazy joy. Well, actually, I'll say one of the most gratifying experiences of my adult life was in March 2020 when COVID hit and I was grounded and I couldn't tour anymore. The Penguin Random House had just released, you know, begun to release the books in a new hardcover and this big push into Barnes and Noble and stuff. And, and so there was no all the promotion got swallowed in by the, you know, the vortex of COVID. And so I just was like, I don't, I'm home for the next year. I don't know what else to do. I'll just read it aloud on Facebook. So I went on Facebook every night at seven o'clock for 30 minutes or so I'd read chapters from the book. And it took about a year to read the whole thing. And I mean, it was just like, it was crazy. Like it was, uh, you know, I remember there was a steady audience of between 15,000 and 20,000 viewers every night I'm in my house reading this story. And the thing is like most authors, you write a book, it goes out and does its thing. And then it kind of, that's the end of the story. But this, it had been 10 years since I'd written these. And now there was this new audience and my kids that I wrote it for are now 20 something. <laughs> and they're right. sitting in the room with me because they've been kicked off campus because of COVID and we're reliving the story together. And it was just, I, I cried like almost every night. I was so moved by 
the fact that I got to share this story with people. So it's, uh, it is a tremendous, tremendous gift. Um, and now to get to make the TV show is just, it, it is like, you know, a cherry on top of the whole thing. Yeah. I was going to mention that too. That's animated. Is that the form it's yeah. taken? Okay. Yeah. It's going to be a series. I mean, that's yeah. the only way it would work. It seems to me, but, oh, that's going to be so cool. And I, I will read the book before I watch the series as, yeah, as, as my is man. clearly the best way to do things. You, you mentioned um, your Christmas tour, uh, behold the lamb, the true tale of the coming of Christ, the, the redo of that just, just, solid gold album, but uh, why, how does God use that annual Christmas tour in, in your life? Why do you keep making that a priority? That's a good question. Uh, well, we're 22 years in now. Um, and at this point, I, I don't, I just kind of, I'm curious to see how long we can keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, are we really going to do this when we're 65, 70 years old? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm game if the rest of the band is game. Um, but honestly, like that tour has been uh, one of the most persistent blessings uh, in my life, partly because it is a reuniting force for a bunch of friends, you know, like that's a long time to share, share the stage with some people. And, uh, and a lot of us, you know, the the people in the band and on the tour we we've got other stuff that we're doing you know everybody's on tour all year doing their own thing but there's this like yearly rhythm of coming back together and catching up again sharing the you know the the kind of nightly hang on the tour bus after every show is just richer every year um i just don't know of anything else quite like it where the the same group of people has been coming together for that long and i i don't ever want to stop doing it um so that said, it has not always been easy. It's been a struggle, um, pretty profound struggle. I talk about it in the new book a little bit, but the, uh, um, but it always feels like a resetting of the compass. Like the rest of the year, we're singing about whatever, um, you know. And Jesus is a part of what I what I'm doing. But there's something different that happens when we get on that on that stage and we go, we're going to rehearse the story of redemptive history and uh, celebrate the incarnation for the next two hours. And uh, yeah, it just, um, I don't know that I've ever done the concert when I haven't gotten moved emotionally by what the tour represents. You know, there's this deep, long friendships, a community of people who uh, have put all of their eggs in the basket of the gospel. And we're standing on the stage every, every night to, to remind ourselves in the audience, what an incredible story it really is. Mm. I just learned today that you're coming to Johns Creek, which is um, not far at all from where we live in Duluth, Georgia. If my wife and I can work out the details, um, I, I would love to participate in one of those. I just think exactly the way you described it, um, you know, that it just it just recalibrates life, you know, to get together with, with old friends and all of that, but then the centrality of the message of Jesus. Um, Man, I, I respect that a lot. One more thing I want to ask you about before I let you go. Um, you mentioned a minute ago your new book, The God of the Garden. Um, give me a few sentences. What What is that all about? I mean, I know it's uh, it's about trees, but it's not it's not an arborist journal. Um, what's trees are the metaphor, but what's the message of that book? Well, I it it 
start, it's a memoir, again, um, the, the first nonfiction book, Adorning the Dark, was kind of a memoir about the creative process. There's a chapter in the book about the, about the place where we live. Like my editor, I had finished that book, and my editor um, said, hey, it's kind of weird that you've got a whole book about creativity, but you haven't written about this, this property that you live on. I've been cultivating for the last 15 years. Why don't you include a chapter about the, the creativity of your family and like the, the life you live when you're at home? So I wrote this chapter and for some reason that chapter has been the one that's resonated the most with people who read that book. And so when uh, I got the chance to write another book, he was like, why don't you just expound on that chapter? Like dig deeper into place and why place matters and, and the, the way God speaks through his creation. And uh, we live just south of Nashville on a few acres and, and I've become a beekeeper and a gardener and, and uh, having a year at home to really see the seasons change. Uh, for the first time in my adult life, I've always toured. So, so to be home for every day of spring and to see the way each flower opens up slowly, um, to see the way autumn sneaks in, like I'd never experienced it as a, as a grown man before in this place that I have given so much of my you know, blood and sweat and tears to. Um, and so the book began as this meditation on trees and kind of specifically what a wonder they are and how they are a prominent theme in scripture. But the book kind of morphed into a memoir about the presence of God um, and the fact that he has made himself known to me through his creation again and again, sometimes in really awful situations. Um, and, you know, Jesus chose to go to a grove of olive trees the night that he was taken uh, to pray. And it seems like in scripture, there's this recurring theme of, um, you know, this, this sense that we ought to pay attention to what trees are doing and that, that uh, the best life that we can live is one that is like a tree planted by water that bears good fruit, you know? Um, and so the book is kind of a meditation on that. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about a big theme in scripture. I mean, from early Genesis, the tree of life, but then uh, really excluded from that. Um, but then the trees all through scripture and then all the way to revelation when, when that access is renewed and restored, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that one for sure. Um, Andrew, I just want to say thank you for taking the time today to open up, open up your life, open up your heart. Um, this has, this has motivated me to, um, though it gets expressed differently through my gifting than yours, but that partnership, that partnership with God to create, to live life to its fullest, um, this conversation has inspired me and all of us who are listening today. This is the invitation of God to us of, of yes, God's got this epic story that spans all of time that's so far above us, but he's chosen to write us into his story. And for us to realize our story is a lot more than just the limited view that we get up close but to really discover our place in God's story. And you've just articulated that so well, uh, not only today, but through your writing, through your music. And um, that is the invitation. That's what, why Walk Through the Bible exists, to invite people into that story. And um, your mission just aligns with ours so much. I, I just wonder, would you let me pray for you before I let you go today? Father, thank you for Andrew. Um, 
just I marvel that you would entrust so many gifts to one person. And yet at the same time, as Andrew shares, it's obvious that he's aware of how much he needs other people and the need to live in community. And and I just thank you for the ministry that he's had for a long time through the spoken word, through the written word, um, by with music, without it, with kids, with adults, all different styles. All those things are just vehicles to create that opportunity for that moment of intersection for people with you, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to open up more opportunities. Lord, guard his relationship with Jamie. Keep them close, not content to just be as close as they are now after all these years, but now especially in this new phase of life that they would discover even greater intimacy with them. And Lord, show them how to be great parents of adult children and the unique challenges of that. And and now with in-laws as well and prayerfully someday grandkids, Lord, just continue to broaden his impact, but, but do it deep, starting right there at home, Lord. And he's got the sense of, of this is a new season, Lord, show him that. But let that be without fear or apprehension or a, a feeling of, I got to figure it out. Lord, every step of the way, you've guided him so far, and he can trust you now. Lord, help him to do that. Help each of us to do that and just to, to be partners with you in the creative process, whether we're actuaries or songwriters or we manage people on an assembly line or we make deliveries or we argue cases in court. Lord, help us to realize that all those things can be platforms for your creativity. Thank you for this opportunity now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you, my friend. Thank you, Phil. Great to talk to you, man. Really appreciate it. And Everybody, we'll see you again on the next episode of Step Into the Story. Thanks so much for joining us today. Tell your friends about it. Leave a review where you get your podcast and subscribe so you don't miss a single one of these conversations. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the Step Into the Story podcast, powered by Walk Through the Bible. We'd love to hear what you think by giving us a review on iTunes or Google Play. Also, don't miss a single episode by clicking the subscribe button. If you'd like more resources to help you explore and live God's word in your daily life, visit walkthrough.org. That's W-A-L-K-T-H-R-U dot O-R-G. Walk through the Bible. Take a walk. Change the world.